The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus said to his disciples, Anyone who gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, amen, I say to you, will surely not lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were put around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed than with two hands to go into Gehenna into the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life crippled than with two feet to be thrown into Gehenna. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into Gehenna, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if salt becomes insipid, with what will you restore its flavor? Keep salt in yourselves and you will have peace with one another. The Gospel of the Lord. In a certain way, our, both of our readings today speak of where we locate and place our confidence. And the remarkable discussion that we have in our letter from James is very emphatic about that with his castigating statements to those who are wealthy in worldly terms. And the center of his argument in this small excerpt that we have is that idea that you've stored up for yourselves treasure for the last days. And he's using the word treasure with a bitter note of irony about it. You think you've secured your future by securing things. You think you have put your house in order by gaining wealth for tomorrow in this world. And so then the apostle says, let's look at the treasure you've stored up for your last days. And here he calls to account the selfish profiteering that often marks worldly wisdom. And so he says, let's look at the wealth that you have, your money. Isn't that interesting? These are the wages you withheld from your workers. That's really going to help you on the last day. And he says, and now let's look at the other wealth you have from those you exploited to get it. 
oh, that's really going to help you on the last day. And one of the things that James is doing is he's not saying if you happen to be wealthy, you're damned. But he is saying there is a great danger when one gives himself over to profit too completely and too strongly. Because then he begins to trust in his own wisdom, his own wealth, his own resources. Forgets his need for the Lord and forgets all too frequently. And let's be honest, the history of human economics bears out this bitter truth also forgets and overlooks the consequences that his or her acquisition of wealth has on others. And we've seen this play out across the centuries, that one gets rich and others get poor, that oftentimes my growing wealthier comes at a cost to you. And so here James is just laying that out in relief and underscoring that it's not just that worldly wealth cannot possibly guarantee your salvation. Worldly wealth does not guarantee life. Because frankly, I could plan for 10 years from now and my life might end tomorrow. And my well-stocked retirement package won't do me a bit of good. And so he says, it's not just that worldly wealth cannot guarantee life. Often it has the opposite effect in that it brings death with it. It damages the lives of others, and if we're not carefully, it can spiritually murder us too. And so these things which call to us and say, trust us, acquire us, found yourself on these things, have a double danger. One, they can't keep their promise. But two, even as we accumulate them, they poison us. And this same idea is present in a different but very related way in the discussion that Jesus now has with his disciples. And he begins by talking about how a simple thing, a simple act not of acquisition, but of giving, gains a reward that has a touch of eternity about it. Anyone who simply gives you a drink of water because you're connected to me will have a reward. And this curious note of giving even a little in the direction of the Lord, note how different that is from the other spirit that James speaks about about acquiring and gaining in great quantities for me, here Jesus speaks of giving a little in the direction of the Lord, produces a reward, a wealth that is real and that will surely belong to that one. And then he shifts direction to a certain extent and the way he develops the next part of his discussion is absolutely remarkable. He then shifts and he points out the simple, the small, not merely the children. When he uses that word, the little ones, he's also speaking of those who have no status, of those who have no opportunity, of those who have no power, no wealth, 
of those who are dependent on the leadership and the guidance of others, of those who are perhaps as well at the beginnings of coming to faith. And there are many such little ones in the world, not merely physical children, but with a fragility about them. And he says, and anyone who causes one of these to sin, rather than do that, it will be better for him. It's the opposite now. A cup of water given in my name gains a reward. A bad example or a temptation or a scandal that pulls someone away from me, oh, it gets a reward too. And that reward is such a big thing, it would be better if you had a millstone attached to your neck and you were tossed into the sea. And we all know what the outcome of that would be. One would sink with no possibility of rising again until he or she drowned in the deep. And Jesus says, and that would in fact be better for you. What a remarkable statement that is. There's the giving of the cup of water, and there's giving the reason to fall away. And that's a chilling statement for the false teachers, the merchants of outrage and anger, the purveyors of those dozens of ways that we can be pulled easily off course. And note that the Lord uses this kind of language for that. Not for what we often call the really big things. You know, it's, the Lord is not so preoccupied, in a sense, with the one who has an abortion as he is with the one who creates the framework where somehow that seems to be acceptable. He's not so preoccupied with the one who is misguided, but he is very preoccupied with that one who manufactures reasons to be angry. Because the one who's manufacturing the reason to be angry is poisoning the hearts of many. And so much of that traces back. What a, what a remarkable, remarkable statement. And the Lord is saying that this idea of leading others to fall away, that's a matter of life and death. And, you know, there are many, there are many today who do need to take a hard look in the mirror about that, both on the right and on the left and in the hopeless middle, um, in terms of the way Words and actions and examples are targeted and directed in a way to provoke behavior, sometimes unfortunately in the name of the gospel, that pulls us away from the gospel, that pulls us away from Christ. But now then the Lord continues, and now let's look at you. Now let's look at you. And let's not talk about somebody else causing you to sin. Let me not talk about the way somebody else caused me to sin. And he says, let's look at where sin lives in your life and where it comes from. 
Because if I've just said it's a terrible thing to lead somebody, to lead a little one to sin, what about your life is doing that to you? Note how he shifts that now? First, there's the danger of the one outside of me who might lead me to sin or the way I might lead somebody else into falling. But then the Lord comes around and says, but what about my life? And what in my life? Not who outside of me. What inside of my life? What part of my life drags me toward falling away? Because if I have a millstone around the neck for the guy who would do that to me, what about that part of me that does that to me? And that's now where this sharp teaching of Jesus comes from. If your hand leads you to sin, well, we've just talked about the guy who does that to somebody else and what's waiting for him. So the Lord says, we need to ask the question of what do we do about the hand? If the one is bad, so is the other. And so now the Lord says, just as seriously, we need to look at ourselves and about what the fountains of wickedness, the fountains of selfishness, the fountains of, unselfish, of selfishness are in our lives. And then we need to do something about them. So I could do the experiment and ask you all to show me your right hand and your left hand. And we could remark at the fact that none of us apparently have hands that lead us to sinning. Or we could simply say somehow, let's be honest, not all of us have left and right hands that are innocent. So at least one or two of us should be missing something. And we're strangely intact. You know, and it may be that because of age or accident, I have a leg that doesn't work the way it used to or an eye that doesn't. But again, let's be honest. None of us is showing the scars of having taken that eye and torn it out. You know, none of us is moving as if we've recently acted on that teaching about the leg that keeps wandering in the wrong place. Which means we've all made a decision about what Jesus is saying. If your hand leads you to sin, lose that bad boy. But I've still got mine. So what is Jesus really saying? With this language of the millstone, with this language of the chopping and the tearing, what is he really saying? He's really saying this. Sooner or later it happens that we have to make a painful choice toward goodness and toward rightness and toward the gospel. And when that happens, and we realize what the gospel demands of us, 
Sooner or later, we sit there and we say, but without that, I can't get by. It's like cutting off my right hand. One sees it in business. To run a business in a moral way is not easy. And the temptation is, if I'm too honest, I cripple myself. And we can't survive. How many of us in regular life have that bad behavior that we keep falling back to because it also brings us a certain amount of comfort and stability? And if I take that away, I just don't know how I will function. It's like I won't be able to walk anymore. It's like cutting off my leg. We all have those places where we direct our eyes that aren't healthy. Some of us can't look away from our history of resentment. Some of us can't look away from our desire to find what is negative in somebody else. Some of us keep fixing our eyes on those things or even relationships that we know are no good for us, but we like looking there. We enjoy it. There's a certain odd comfort that comes. And if we didn't look in that direction anymore, we'd find ourselves strangely lost. As if we just took our eyes out. So Jesus is not speaking so much about the physical eye or the physical hand or the physical leg. But he is saying, you know, in our lives, there are often those things like that unreliable wealth that James is talking about that don't bring life, but bring the opposite. And if we keep surrendering to them, in the end, they drag us down as surely as if a millstone was tied around our neck and we won't get back up. And so we need to do something about them. And if they're serious enough and dangerous enough, the Lord is saying, then you've got to cut it out. You've got to cut it out of your life and move forward without it, even if it means you'll limp through life even if it means that you're going to be relationally awkward for a while, as if you were missing a hand or a foot. Because it's better to limp through this world, which doesn't give life and gain eternity, than it is to run free in the field of this world's self-indulgence and find yourself closed off to eternal happiness. It's an important teaching and a difficult one, a very difficult one. But this idea that sooner or later everything has a price, sooner or later the bill does come due. And the Lord says, attend to these things now while you can. But the issue is not just what in the world leads you to sin. It's not who around you causes you to sin. That's something we need to look at, but it's also what within you causes you to sin.
What about the matter of your life? And what there keeps dragging you down? And then the next question is, take it seriously, not as something that you need to get by. Take it seriously as something that's killing you. And do something about it. Because your life, your eternal life, your soul, the image of God in which you were created is worth more than that. And it's worth defending and it's worth protecting. And so within this image, within this image of the cutting of things away is this deep sense that you have something that is worth defending. You have something that is worth preserving. You have something that is worth holding on to. And don't let something else keep ripping that out of your life. Don't let something else rob you of that. Don't let something else pull you off of that. Rather, hold on to that. And don't worry so much about losing those other things. Because the simple fact of the matter is, who is Jesus? He's the one who makes the lame to walk. He's the one who restores the maimed. He's the one who makes the blind to see again. We're worried about losing an eye of self-indulgence. We're worried about not being able to run when we lose the leg of self-interest. We're worried about not being able to function because we'll be crippled without the right hand of getting my way. And we forget who is talking to us. Because he's the one who makes the lame run free and the blind to see. And he restores the wounded and the crippled and the weak to fullness of health. Limp a while, the Lord says, and let me show you how to truly run. Darken the eye that looks for that which is unhealthy for a while, that I might open it again, and you can see what is truly good. And that hand which reaches out to so many unhealthy things, let it be idle and weak for a while, and I will open it again and fill it with what is really good. And think about what happens here at Mass. It's almost as if the Lord is looking ahead to what you're going to do today as he says this. The Lord who says, oh, chop that hand, pluck out that eye, and cut off that leg, what does he say? Use that leg and get out of the bench and come forward and stretch out that hand to me. And before you do that, those eyes, take a look forward when you hear that word behold and see me. How beautiful that is. How absolutely beautiful that is. On the one hand, we hear about losing eyes, hands, and legs. And yet, on the other hand, we're going to use our eyes, our legs, and our hands 
to receive him who makes the lame to run free and the blind to see and who heals the wounded. How absolutely remarkable and beautiful this really is. The harsh words of the Lord are at the service of getting us ready for this. Because physically, it's not necessarily a difficult thing for most of us to come forward. Spiritually, though, it can be. We limp, we struggle, we even crawl. But if we get to him, we who are lame within will learn to run free. Amen.